The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. You have a copy of God's Word. Would you join me? Hebrews chapter 5, Maddie, we're going to start 5 verse 11 um, in, our, in our reading together. We're in a, a place, we have been in a place in the book of Hebrews now for a number of weeks where the author of the book of Hebrews is unfolding for these people this Mysterious man, Melchizedek, this ancient order of high priests, and how Jesus is the better great high priest, and the order of Melchizedek, and there's much that the writer would like to say about that, but he's unable to do so. And so he goes into, starting in, in verse 5, chapter 11, sort of a parenthetical break. And so that's where we've been. We've been in this, this parenthetical break for, a, for a, a pretty good while. And this morning we're going to finish it together as we finish chapter 6. Um, but I want, I want to read the entire thought in its entirety this morning before we look at these verses in particular. So we'll begin in verse 11, chapter 5. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. When solid food is for the mature, for those who have... Their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So they've got a problem. And their problem is their spiritual immaturity. And so he instructs them. Therefore, let us leave behind the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instructions about washings, laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. You're immature, he says. I want to tell you more, I can't. The reason why I can't is because of your immaturity. So let me tell you then how you can mature, and that is you... You leave these things behind and you press on towards other things. You leave these elementary doctrines. We talked about those in detail. You can go back all every, basically every sermon I've ever preached is, is online. You can go and hear it. It isn't let's leave behind the gospel, but let's lay a foundation once and for all and let's build upon it. Let's not keep relaying the same foundation over and over again. And then he gives them a, a warning 
For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. The land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. There's a great warning here of apostasy, of, of falling away, of giving a, an appearance of salvation, but eventually denying Christ. But following this warning, the writer of Hebrew gives an encouragement. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. That There are those in among these Hebrew people who once gave a, an appearance of salvation and have since fallen away, turning back again into the bondage of Judaism. But for these brothers and sisters, for you we are sure of better things, things that pertain to salvation. In you there is a genuine salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love to which you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. As we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end that you may not be sluggish but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be sure of these better things, these things pertaining to salvation, that these brothers and sisters will not be counted among the apostate. Because the fruit of their lives is a fruit um, of, of repentance. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual fruit. It's a, it's a good fruit. Right? Um, the fruit of salvation is the fruits of the Spirit. And it's, it's been evidenced in them through their love for one another. For their love of, of one another. And so... In these next verses that we look at this morning, the writer of Hebrews sort of comes to the the climax of his encouragement to them. And this encouragement from him, this this penultimate encouragement, is that God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His promises. And so that's what we want to to look at this morning in verses 13 through 23 points. We'll work together through this text to close out this parenthetical break and then get back into Jesus, the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. You'll see that shift in these verses. Three points. The first is the unchangeable promise. The unchangeable promise. The second is the example of Abraham. And the third is the anchor for the soul. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is for final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a stern warning, as we've seen, a warning of the consequences of apostasy, the consequences of of denying Christ, that once someone does this, that it is impossible for them to be brought back again unto repentance. And this incredibly stark and stern warning is followed by an equally excellent promise. This promise serves us, serves the the reader, it serves the hearer as the encouragement that we need to persevere, to not fall away. That's this, this greater context here in the book of Hebrews. Do not fall away. There are consequences to falling away. Press on to maturity. And here is the greatest of all encouragements for you not to fall away, and that is that God has made a promise. And it is a promise that is founded on a sacred oath. And in it, we see a better way. The way of faith as given in the example of Abraham. Abraham. You can see why the writer goes to Abraham as an example here, right? He, in verse 12 of of chapter 6, says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, that there are promises made and that those promises then are inherited, they are received, they are experienced by people who keep their faith and are patient for it. So we see this this promise that exists and this example that exists. Well, what is this promise? For when God made a promise to Abraham, verse 13, what is this promise? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us what this promise is. He tells us in verse 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, 
he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. This is the promise of God made to Abraham. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promise because God made a promise to Abraham and here is the promise. I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now, if you've been with us for a little while, you know that that last year we took a number of months and looked through um, the, the portion of Genesis that pertains to the life of Abraham. So I don't, I don't feel the need necessarily to, to re-preach all of his life. But I do think it's probably important for us to go back and to look at these promises made by God um, to Abram in Genesis. And Genesis chapter 12 is where this man Abram comes onto the scene. Eventually his name will be called Abraham. He's... Um, living in a pagan place called Ur with pagan parents. And out of nowhere, for no, seemingly no reason, God speaks to him. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. God comes to this man not because of who this man is necessarily, not because of anything that he has done, He didn't do anything to earn God's choice. He didn't do anything to earn God's blessing. But God, in His sovereignty, chooses him to be the one through which He will bless the entire world. And God makes to this man a very great promise. It's a promise that Abraham did not deserve. It's a promise that Abraham would not be able to bring to fulfillment on his own. It was a promise that could only be His through faith. We saw in our time together last year that this man, Abram, who would become Abraham, he was far from perfect. He certainly did not do everything flawlessly. But yet God stayed true to His Word and to His promise. And God constantly reassured Abraham that he is faithful and his promises are sure. And when Abraham needed the encouragement to believe, as we often do, God renewed this promise again in Genesis 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Abraham, by this point in his life, was very old. 
and remained childless. Yet God had made a promise to bless him and to multiply him. And even when it seemed like it was never going to happen, God reminded him of his faithfulness. God assured him again of his promises. And even when it seemed that God was asking the unthinkable, even when it seemed as if God was going against His Word, going against His promises, God remained faithful. Eventually, this promised child was born, Isaac. Abraham and Sarah tried to take things in their own hands. It didn't work with Ishmael. Isaac was born. And then God comes and tells Abraham to take Isaac and kill him, sacrifice him. And Abraham in faith goes to obey. At the last moment, God intercedes with a substitute. And this is what God says in Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It is this promise that the writer of Hebrews has in mind when he says God made a promise to Abraham. And in making this promise, he swore an oath to keep it. You can see it. The direct quotation in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Genesis 22, 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What's his encouragement to us? What's the writer of Hebrews' encouragement to us? The writer of Hebrews' encouragement to us is that God has made a promise and he is faithful to keep his promises. That's his encouragement. That God has made a promise and he's faithful to keep it. And God made this promise to Abraham. And it is an unchangeable promise. Because when God made this promise, He did so by swearing an oath. By swearing an oath. Now, we understand 
that when a person wants to be taken seriously, when he wants to be trusted, when he wants to be believed, that they swear on something greater than themselves, right? I mean, we see it uh, when, when, a, when a, a, a president takes the oath of office, he puts his hand on a Bible, other raises the other hand, and he swears an oath. He swears an oath on the Bible, something greater than him. Same thing when you go to court and have to take an oath, swear an oath. We know it just, you know, uh, colloquially as part of our language, you know, we, when I swear by my mama, right? She's greater than me. You've heard, I swear by my children. Take me, you know, this take me, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, I'm telling you the truth, you know. We understand that language of swearing an oath on something greater. Well, when God made this promise to Abraham, He did so, He confirmed it by swearing an oath. But if you're God, then what is the greater thing that you swear the oath on? Well, there is nothing greater. Who can God swear an oath by? There's no one greater. So what does God do? He He swears by Himself. There's nothing greater. He swears by Himself. I'm going to keep this promise I've made to bless you and to bless every nation through you. And God solidifies it by swearing an oath according to Himself. An absolute guarantee of the promise. And God has swore it according to His own name, according to His own character, according to His own self. And because He cannot lie, His promise is unshakable. His promise is sure. His promises are as sure as He is faithful. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So why is it that God swore an oath to keep His promise to Abraham. God did it, not just for Abraham, right? God swore the oath because He wanted to show His people even more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that this promise is unchangeable. And so he, he does so by two things, right? So that by two unchangeable things. What are these two unchangeable things? They're his oath and his promise. His oath is unchangeable. He swore it according to himself. His promises are unchangeable. Both are as sure as the other because they are bound up in His very character and He cannot lie. He is truth. So I want to 
sort of put all this together in the context of the Hebrews. These people have immense persecution on them to turn away, to fall back. And they are, they are facing intense persecution to do so. To remain steadfast with a firm faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ costs them much. And they are witnessing people among them in their churches that they love deeply and they respect deeply for sure who are apostatizing, who are falling away, who are turning back. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold fast, dear brother and sister. Press on in maturity. Keep going forward. And when persecution comes, when temptation to fall away arises, when wolves enter in and look to take you captive again to false doctrine, then you, dear child, look to the unchangeable promise of God. The promise that He will bless you according to your faith. The promise that as the heirs of Abraham, God will bless you. His promises are sure. They are unchangeable. He swore an oath to Abraham. And He did it so that we could know God is faithful to His promises. His promises are unchangeable. So hold fast. These, these, are, these, are, these are Jews. These are Israelites. These are Hebrews. They're, they're a little different than me and you in that they are literal heirs of Abraham. Most of us are not. We are Gentiles. But His as we'll see, His promises are sure for us as well. So first look to this unchangeable promise of God that started with Abraham, that in him there would be an offspring that would bless the world. And then, the writer says that this unshakable, unchangeable promise has been proven through a real-life example the example of of Abraham. Isn't it helpful to have a real life example? Somebody who's been there, somebody who's seen it, somebody who's experienced it, somebody who's come out the other side. To know that it's possible, isn't it encouraging to have a real life example? And this is who Abraham is. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Don't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
The story of Abraham's life is that of perseverance. And a perseverance that leads to a greater and greater faith. Let's just be honest, early on, Abraham was barely able to obey. He was barely able to follow. Abraham, you leave, you leave your family, you take your wife, and you go to the place that I will show you. God shows him a place that's a place of famine. And what does Abraham do? I'm out of here. He heads to Egypt. Gets to Egypt. God's made a promise. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. But the fear rises up in him and he lies to Pharaoh. Going to Egypt, lying, taking his wife's maidservant. Early on, he was doubtful often disobedient. Yet God was faithful to His promise. God was faithful to Abraham, and Abraham kept the faith, and he was patient, even to the point of being willing to sacrifice his long-awaited son. Abraham, in his patience and his faith, received the promise. Now, you know the story you know that Abraham received this promised child Isaac, but that wasn't the only promise. The other promise was a land. And if you know, Abraham died before the land was taken because the land was never the, the dirt in Canaan. It was heaven in the very presence of, of God. His example should encourage us. Because like Abraham, our patience, endurance, as imperfect as it may be, will see the fruit of salvation. Well, how did Abraham see it? How did Abraham receive this promise? The writer of Hebrews tells us, he just tells us a few chapters later in chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. How did Abraham patiently wait and receive this promise of God? He did so by faith. Abraham serves as our first example of persevering in faith to receive the promises of God. So don't fall away. Don't go back. Don't apostatize. Keep the faith. Press on to maturity. Be like Abraham. Because the promises of God are as sure as His name is sure. 
God has sworn an oath, an, an unchangeable, unbreakable oath to bless you, heirs of Abraham. So be like Abraham and don't fall back. Don't lose faith. Persevere to the end. Because God's promises are sure. And these unchangeable promises of God, they are the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into a hope that enters in, into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see what, what, the, what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing here? He's saying, listen, be imitators of those who through patience and faith inherit the promises Those promises still remain because when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, no one was greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And Abraham, having patiently waited, attained the promise. God swore this oath to show us, these heirs, the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. And now... We have these things. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What was Abraham's by faith is ours by faith. So what is this? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul. What is it? It is the oath and the promise. This oath and this promise, thousands upon thousands of years ago to Abraham, they still serve us. They are ours. We have these Things. Now, that makes me ask a big question. That big question is how? How can the promises made to Abraham, a sure, steadfast, unchangeable promise, sworn by an oath by God according to his name, a promise that Abraham, through faith and patience, received, how can that be mine? And the answer to the how is in Christ Jesus. The promise of God to Abraham was the promise of an offspring and a land. These are Christological promises. The promised offspring isn't just Isaac. There, the substance of the promise wasn't Isaac. The substance of the promise wasn't Canaan. 
Those were just shadows. Those were, were, were types. The real substance, the real promise is Christ. And they are ours in Christ. So that by two unchangeable things, verse 18, in which is it, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So when you read that, you think, all right, this, this is, is hope. That's what it's, it feels like. Right? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to the whole, to our, our soul. But it's not just the, the hope that's the sure and steadfast anchor to our soul. We have a hope. But what is our hope? Who is our hope? Our hope is the one who entered into the inner sanctum. Our hope is the one who went behind the curtain. That's our hope. Our hope is the one who is the fulfillment of the unchangeable promises of God. God gave this promise not just to Abraham, but He gave it also for us. Because He desires that we might have this sure and steadfast hope. It's a hope that transcends one man or one child. It's a hope not based on a bloodline but on the blood of Christ. They're falling back. Away from faith. Away from Christ. Because what what Christ shows us, what Christ as the promised offspring shows us, is that God's blessings, His promises, His people, His children, they are not limited to to the genetic ethnicity of Abraham. But they're open to the whole world. Because the promise and the hope is Jesus Christ. And in Him, God is reconciling the whole world unto Himself. And He's taking those who are far off and he's grafting them in to the family of God. By the very same thing that got Abraham the promise. Faith. When God took Abraham out from Ur and he pointed his gaze towards the heavens, to the stars that would outnumber his offspring. He was pointing to us. That his descendants would be all of those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ is the blessing to the nations. And we are the nations. 
we are the ones being blessed according to his promises. In our time together on Wednesday nights with the students, we've been working through the book of Galatians. Paul makes it abundantly, explicitly clear. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is our great hope. That we are counted among the stars. That according to faith, we are counted as children of the promise. A salvation that is waiting to be revealed. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is a hope that is sure and steadfast a hope that serves us as an anchor for our soul. Anchors are understood by us. We get this imagery. It's familiar for us. It's the the imagery of security, right? To you, you don't want to be adrift in a storm, so you set your anchor, right? An anchor is set, and it's set in something strong, and it's tethered so that it keeps you in place. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. These, these promises that God made, these unchangeable promises that God made, He swore an oath, they're unchangeable, They're they're really able to be received because we have the example of Abraham set before us. And they are yours in Christ Jesus. These serve us to be a sure and a steadfast anchor for our souls so that as difficulties arise, as as the, the, the winds of persecution and tribulation come in, as, as the, the current of false doctrine look to, to take us away, as, as doubt creeps in in the night, we can know that we are tethered by faith to the anchor Christ Jesus who is set for us. And where is He set? He is set in the inner sanctum of God. He is set behind the curtain. He is set in the very presence of God. And our faith tethers us to Him there. 
behind the curtain. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. No matter the storms of life, no matter the trials of this world, no matter the difficulties of our flesh, our anchor is set outside of those things in the very presence of God. Jesus came to earth to live and to die for us. And when He returned to heaven, it was also for our sake to set an anchor of hope in the very presence of God in the great promise of God, secured in Christ Jesus, we therefore have a sure and steadfast hope that cannot be broken or destroyed. Because there, in that place, our anchor is set, Christ Jesus our Lord, who is our great high priest, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I was just struck by that language reading it. Do you know what that means to be a forerunner? It means to go before, right? So, so what's the implication? We're going there too. He's a forerunner on our, our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And with that, the parenthetical break comes to an end. And back on the train we get with Jesus as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But in between, dear church, hold fast. Don't fall away. Bear good fruit. Trust in the promise of God. Persevere to the end. Grow in spiritual maturity. Because we have a great high priest in Christ Jesus. The fulfillment of all the promises our sure and steadfast hope. The anchor of our souls. The forerunner in the very presence of God to whom we are tethered by faith. Welcomed into the very promises that God made Abraham Promise is not based on a bloodline, but on the blood of Christ. Counted as His offspring. The nations being blessed by the offspring, Jesus Christ. Hold fast. Hold fast. I'll be 40 in two months. All of my life, it's been pretty easy to follow Christ. It cost me a little bit in high school, sure. 
College, maybe. Same thing's probably not going to be true for our children or for us. So what's our responsibility as their moms and dads, as their pastors, as their friends? What's our responsibility to one another? The very same thing that the writer of Hebrews sees as his responsibility as the pastor there. Point them to Christ, the promises of God, his sure and faithful character, our hope set before us as the encouragement to persevere to the end. Father, would you help us hold fast in faith to the anchor of our souls set for us in heaven behind the curtain, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. You are faithful and sure to your promises. You made it abundantly clear by swearing an oath according to your own name. Would we, like Abraham, be patient, keep the faith, receive the promise? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.